2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So he urged Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let me pray and we'll look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for beautiful Eli and the way he took to baptism, which was great. He's so calm and beautiful. Uh, we pray for him again, we grow to know the Lord Jesus. We pray for us all now that we'll be able to listen to you speak to us uh, through your word, that you might work in our hearts by your spirit, that we will, might all take into heart in Jesus' name. Amen. As John mentioned earlier, Aussies really hate a tight wad, don't they? They hate a tight wad. Um, I had lunch with a mate who's a minister as well just the other day, and we had a discussion about whether or not I can say tight ass in a sermon. And we decided, no, that's not okay. <laughs> so we're going to go with tight wad this morning. Uh, Aussies hate a tight wad. You know the guy. Uh, he's the one at the pub who swears he bought the last round, but you know that he, he didn't because he never does. He's the one who always dodges the shout because he's a tight wad. And you know the girl. She's the one that you know will be so miffed if you don't include her in your bridal party. So you do, but then she doesn't want to pay for her dress, even though you've said, I really can't afford to buy five dresses. And even though you've said to her, let your bridesmaid dress be your wedding gift to me and my husband, she's still makes a scene about the fact that she's got to pay for her dress. Aussies hate a tightwad, and there's nothing worse, anything worse than a tightwad, is a tightwad who's a Christian. Because Christians are the, have every reason to be generous. We're going to get rid of the ring, or should I switch back to the... No, I'm just trying to balance it. Christians have every very reason to be generous, so it's so extra ugly when Christians are stingy. I actually went to a Bucks party, it was probably 20 years ago now. It was for my brother-in-law, I'd been a Christian just a little while, and we're sitting there having pizza with this pizza joint, there's probably about 14 Christian people sitting at the table, and three guys uh, who weren't Christians. And the pizzas came down, the pastor and whatever, and the... Um, all, all the Christians pretty much had soft drink, and the three guys had two DVDs each. And the bill came out, 
And we split the bill, and all the Christians were like, oh, mine was $14.20, mine was $15.85, mine was $16.30. I was sitting there, I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh my goodness, is this happening? Because everyone knows you've got to pay for the buck, right? When you're out of the bucks party, at least, you've got to split his dinner. So, these, his friends who weren't Christians, they pitched him probably about 40 bucks each, or then pizza and a couple of beers. And the bill was still $100 short. And so it was his friends who weren't Christians that pulled another plan, pulled another $50 bill out of their wallets and pitched it. They paid a fortune for their pizza and a couple of beers, but they were happy to do it for the sake of their friend, whose box party it was. And I was so, it was such an ugly look. It's such an it's a particularly ugly look when Christians are stingy because it makes perfect sense actually that Christians give abundantly of their time and of their energy and of their money uh, to church because ultimately Christians are giving in response to God's goodness and kindness poured out to them in Jesus. And this is exactly what we see in this passage today, which we're going to have a short look at right now. Last week we learned that Paul had been ministering in Troas. You can see up there there's a Mediterranean of the part of the world to hold that in. Paul had been ministering in Troas, which is the bottom circle. He was waiting for his friend Titus, his friend in ministry, and Titus hadn't come. So Paul went up north to Philippi, which is in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And Titus met him there, which brought him great delight and great comfort and encouragement. Paul was an apostle of Jesus, which meant he was chosen by Jesus to tell people the good news about Jesus and to teach the Bible, particularly people who weren't Jews, who weren't descendant from the Jewish nation. That was who Paul was, and Paul wrote much of the New Testament, many of the letters that we have. And he's really surprised, and pleasantly surprised, with just how generous the Christians in Macedonia are. Look again at verse uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 8, and it's on the screen. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So the situation is Paul is taking up a collection for people who are really poor down in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, we go back to the back, Jerusalem's all the way down in the bottom right-hand corner. So it's a long way away from Macedonia, particularly in those days. There's no planes or anything, of course. It's a long way away, and Paul is calling upon the churches of the region to put some money into play, to collect up some money, to support the people who are poor down in Jerusalem. And the Macedonians up in the north, despite the fact that they're quite poor themselves, they pulled together this great sum of money. They were really, really generous. They were rich with generosity, it says there towards these people on the other side of the sea. They weren't even in their own neck of the woods. Um, in the midst of severe trial, these people were super generous to their brothers and sisters on the other side of the sea. Paul says there in verse 3, they gave as much as they could and even more than they could really afford. 
in order to support their Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And there's a really interesting word they use in verse 4, sentence 4. Privilege. They pleaded to Paul for the privilege of sharing and giving their money to this collection. They begged for the opportunity to give of their money. Because how would it be for Christian people? What's going on? Well, <clears throat> down the bottom there we learn why they're doing this. It's in response to God. It's in response to the Lord. They've given themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They've thrown their lot in, submitted their lives, humbled themselves before God. It was God's will for them to be generous to their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's in response to His love for them that they gave back by giving to God's church. It was a privilege to give. Because God first gave to them. It's a gift. Giving to others is a gift in itself that they are eager to have. And this is what God wants for his people. It is God's will that his people be generous. And it's no surprise to me at all that Aussies have that moral inside them. That we hate people being stingy. Just by nature. We like to see people be generous. We hate it when people are tight. We were all delighted to see millions of dollars raised, weren't we, for the bushfire appeal a couple of years ago and for flood victims. We Aussies like to see that happen. And this moral inside us all doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from our Christian heritage. Our country is founded on Christian virtues. So this innate sense of hating tightwads that we have in us all comes from God in us all. Our God is generous, abundantly generous, and he calls upon his people to be generous as well as the Macedonians for me, not so much the Corinthians. So we get to the next bit, the stingy Corinthians. Unfortunately, the church in Corinth isn't being so generous as the church in Macedonia. This letter was written to the church in Corinth, that's where it's being read, and Paul sent his offsider, Titus, to the Corinthians to encourage them to be generous, like their brothers and sisters up in Macedonia are being. So verse 6 then, We urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The church in Corinth were a great church in many ways. They were great in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in love, but they were tightwads. They were just like the lads I was sitting around the table with at my brother-in-law's bucks night. They were, they were good guys, nice guys. But they were tightwads. And that's not okay if you're a follower of Jesus. To make matters worse, the Corinthians had cash. Corinth was a major trading hub, it was a very cosmopolitan city, not unlike Sydney. The Corinthians were quite wealthy, like most of us, unlike the Macedonians up in the north. But they were tightwads, the Corinthians. Now, Paul doesn't command them to be generous, 
He's hoping that they'll look at their own hearts. He's hoping they'll look in the mirror and ask themselves, just how much do I love Jesus? How much do I love my brothers and sisters at church and in Christ and my brothers and sisters across the world in missionary, persecuted Christians across the world? How much do I love them? How much do I love my Lord? Am I willing to be generous with my time and my energy and my money in response to my God? You see, committed self-giving in every way to the Lord and to others is central to Christianity. When someone becomes a Christian, you may know someone in your family who became a Christian as an adult or an adult or a teenager, and all of a sudden they started giving lots of time and energy and even money to the church, and you think they might have gone mad. Some of my friends thought I'd gone mad. My boss certainly thought I'd gone mad when I decided to quit my job and go into full-time ministry. He said, well, when you get that out of your system, I'll have your job waiting for you. You can come back. Well, it's still right out of my system. Here I am. You might think they've gone mad. All of a sudden, they're so committed to church and they'll be there every single week and go to a Bible study group as well and give them money. Crazy. What's happened to my friend all of a sudden? But it's not mad. It's what happens. It's central to Christianity that we give in response to God's generosity to us. It's the normal response. And putting your trust in Jesus is to give of your time and your energy and even your money. It's basic to Christianity. And we see why in the next and very last verse of our passage that we're going to look at today. If you've tuned out, tune back in. This is the most important verse we're going to look at. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Sounds a bit confusing at first read, doesn't it? Jesus was rich, but for the sake of his people he became poor, so that they might become rich. So in what way was Jesus rich? Is this talking about he had a lot of money and a, you know, a kind of den full of sports cars like Mr. Dean? No. Let me show you one other part of the Bible that explains to us just how rich Jesus was and Jesus is. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. And it says this about Jesus. The Son of the Father, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's like God in every way. Firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is all-powerful, rich in every sense of the word. All was made through him, all was made for him. All people, all things will one day be reconciled to God through Jesus. He's all-powerful. He's infinitely rich. 
But for the sake of the world and all who believe in him, he humbled himself to be born of a, born of a woman, to grow. He was the age of Eli at one point. When he was at school age and a teenager, a man. And then he humbled himself even to death on a cross. He died in our place. So through faith in him, we might not die, but have eternal life. And he rose again to show that he has the supremacy in all things. Whether we know it, whether we feel it, whether we believe it or not, the truth is that we will all stand before God in judgment one day. I will. You will. Eli will. Which is why Sean and Julia invited Dan and Bill to lead us all in prayer today for Eli, that he will know, grow, to trust in Jesus. And they prayed for Sean and Julia that they will not fail in their greatest responsibility as parents, which is to teach Eli God's word, the Bible. Eli will stand before God in judgment one day. So will Sean and Julia. So will I. And so will you. We've all sinned, which means none of us, none of us, not me, not any of us, have lived up to God's perfect standard. And the Bible says the punishment for sin is death. But anyone who's trusted Jesus and his blood given for them and his life given for them and his death died for them will not be judged guilty, but will be judged innocent. Will not face eternal death, but will be blessed with eternal life through faith in Jesus. All who put their trust in Jesus have the hope of heaven and eternal life waiting for them. They are reconciled to God, made friends with God again, forgiven for all their sins, and given joy and hope for eternal life. And that is our prayer for Eli this morning, and my prayer for us all. God has generously offered us this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through faith in Jesus given for us. Jesus died that we might live. If you're old enough, you might remember back in the year 2000, billionaire Kerry Packer almost died. He needed a kidney transplant. He's pictured bottom right, in case you're too young to recognise him. And his helicopter pilot, Nicholas Ross, pictured top left, donated a kidney to his boss to save his life. That's my kind of employee. What a champ. Wow. That's a huge thing to do. Massive surgery for him. Kerry, and he lived. He lived a bit longer. Massively generous in the Well, Jesus Christ, the Supreme One, the one through all things were made, came to earth and then died to save us. He gave his blood and his life. He died that we might live and be reconciled to God in heaven. He was abundantly generous to us. And the right response is to accept his generosity gladly with thanksgiving and then be generous to others, to everyone that we meet. Though he was rich, he gave up everything, his dignity, his very life, to the mean what we might become rich. Rich spiritually, not financially. Having eternal life, having eternal hope, having abundant joy, 
having abundant desire to love and serve and give to others, he made us rich spiritually through humbling himself to death on a cross. So let me wrap up. The first logical response to God's abundant generosity to us in Jesus is to simply say thanks and receive his generosity. To receive God's kindness to us in Jesus and entrust our lives to him. If you haven't yet explored God's goodness and generosity explained in the Bible, can I encourage you to read the Bible for yourself? Scan the QR code on your handout, let me know that you'd like to know more about the Bible and I will make it happen. In the wonders of modern technology, I now make interstate over Zoom with someone to read the Bible, which has been fantastic. If you'd like to know more about the Bible, check it out for yourself. What if this is all true? What if you will indeed stand before God in judgment one day? What if forgiveness of sins and eternal life is genuinely on offer? I can assure you it is all true. For me, I was 20 years old. I did not believe in Jesus. But I was not confident that it was all a lie either. So by God's grace, I checked it out. And a friend of mine helped. Matt read the Bible with me. And I learned about this wonderful, generous offer from God. Free forgiveness through Christ. If that's you, if you haven't checked it out, maybe you have checked it out and you decided, no, this is all bunkum, that's fine. If you haven't checked it out, can I encourage you to look into Christianity for yourself. To decide for yourself whether it's true or not. Decide for yourself whether or not God's generous offer is worth accepting for yourself. Check out God's kindness. We can I encourage you to receive God's kindness. And secondly, for those of you who have received God's generosity in you, you are Christians, can I say, be generous to others? Christians ought to be like walking Warragamba dams, full to the brim with generosity, just waiting to spill, just waiting for an opportunity to spill generosity into the lives of others. If God was this bowl, this bowl was actually an ocean, and I was really, really strong, so I could lift it up, and this was full, this is God's generosity, Christians are like this cup. And God has already poured his generosity into us abundantly. We are full to overflowing, just waiting to pour our generosity into someone else. That's the picture of the Christian life. That's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. Ready to spill with generosity and love into the lives of others. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your generosity, your goodness, your kindness, your grace and mercy given to us in so many ways. You've given us life, you've given us homes and families and friends, and you've given us your Son, your one and only Son. We thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you for the life he lived of love. We thank you for the death he died in love. And we ask that you help us to trust in his death and glorious resurrection ourselves, working us by the Holy Spirit to trust in him and then work in us to be generous to others in the abundant way that you've been generous to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.